0: Hello people, this is Reed Striva, and I'm Jude LeCompte, and this is Cajun, Cajun Kingdom, Kingdom of, of priests. priests. Their job is to sanctify the social order, to sanctify the world.
1: That's where the power of the laity lies. To transform society, they must begin by changing their own hearts first.
2: Our nation is too full of those that are crying down, down with the police down with the churches. Can you build anything down? You cannot. Let's begin now to use the word up, up from all of this filth, up from this violence, up from this indifference of courts, up, up, up to God.
0: And keep the joy of loving. Welcome to another episode of Cajun Kingdom of Priests. It's Reed here, and no Jude. There's no Jude today, <laughs> <laughs>
3: and Father John Joseph.
0: Yeah. So you know Jude. Jude's a grinder. You know right. he, he's grinding. So he he had to he had to roll out and yeah, do his thing. He had to do his thing. But that's totally fine. So,
3: um, well, actually, what happened is we we were about to record this intro, and then. I started ranting about something else, and it took too long. Yeah, yeah. But We're gonna <laughs> still post that episode anyway.
0: <laughs> so you'll get to hear his rant about Pope Francis. Be 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 in tune. Yeah. yeah.
3: So, but um, oh, so today though we are having an episode with Deacon Conk and his wife Marianne.
0: Yeah, who they're
3: awesome. Yeah. So, so tell me, I, I didn't get to listen to. it. Maybe you can kind of fill me in on.
0: Yeah, I would say like the main. The main topic is like sacrificial love Uh, um you know which you know you might have something to add here but you know whenever i think about like two of the most important characteristics of loving someone well it would be sacrifice and humility Mm. um and we kind of dive into sacrifice and and what that takes and of course like their relationship their own testimony and uh but then yeah we really talk about the characteristic of like sacrificing in order to love someone well
3: Wow. yeah and they talked about that in in terms of their their married love particularly
0: yeah and their love for their children yeah for yeah. their i think they have eight children yeah yeah, yeah. it's wonderful
3: yeah they really they're 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 in a pretty phenomenal couple i mean uh aside from the fact that deacon conch so deacon conch was just recently ordained i guess uh about year. a year ago yeah, yeah the same year that i was actually um he was ordained to the deacon, deacon while he was ordained to the priesthood, and um, and they also live right across the street from CJC. So, and right. uh, they come to our Bible study, men's Bible study. Him and his son, oldest son Thomas. But aside from the fact that Deacon Conk is a huge influencer in the diocese, I mean, just, I mean, he's got he's he's participating in everything, and he's very young. Like a lot of people don't realize, like how because of his maturity, how young he actually is but uh, i mean he's only like 30 i don't know 30 between 33 and 36
0: really yeah. well wow. yeah, no he's he's done a lot
3: yeah yeah and he uh, is c- continues to do a lot he's and, made a lot of life too right <laughs> yeah 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 he sure has and and what's uh but aside from that i mean just their their exemplary familial love Oh, and married yeah. love. I mean, it's just striking. I mean, when you see their family and just, I mean, it's just a, just a beautiful family. And and behind every great man is a great woman. Oh, I mean, yeah. Well, no, she's, a, she's awesome, too. Yeah, yeah, she is.
0: She really, there was some points. They both had to share a mic, and there were certain points where I could tell she was like, Ready to get in the mic. (laughs) So, um, and she, yeah, everything they said was, was really nice. It was a really nice conversation overall. Oh yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah, No, I I mean, just the way she handles her family is, uh, is really beautiful to see.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She's a rock star. She, uh, I believe she homeschools five of the kids. Wow. Yeah. Or well, maybe three of the kids and then five say, I don't remember the numbers, but
3: yeah. Well, I mean, probably five. Yeah. yeah. None of the other three are
0: just too Not, young. To they're be. too young. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Which, I mean, That's, that is extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, yeah. people don't realize how difficult that actually yeah. is. So, uh, I mean, really exemplary. But, uh, and besides that, I mean, I just love them both very much on a personal level. I just, uh, yeah. you know, they're just dear friends. Uh, I think I can say that personally, and other the communities are crucified, and just the church. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah.
0: We also so, talk about the deaconhood a little bit, because you know, yeah. And deacon was even kind of like acknowledged that it was a mystery to him too but it was like yeah what what's the deaconate so we kind of yeah kind of talk about that quite a bit
3: well he should know because he's giving a class right now for the course oh, really? institute <laughs> on the diaconate. so <laughs> yeah he should be well versed. well
0: as we talked about with you know chris it's like you know you, the more you learn about the some faith. topic in the faith it's like the more you're just like it's just a bunch of
3: questions yeah you know? yeah, you, the more you realize you don't know yeah, yeah. that's very true but um, Oh,
0: wait. Speaking of, all right. So I was praying the glory be the other day, and it just like, you know, glory be to the Father, to the Son, and the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning is now, and ever shall be world without end. World without end. Where, you know, where's so, that coming from? Yeah. I know this is random, but I had, to, I had to bring it up. No,
3: so actually, we talked about that a little bit in the last episode, but uh, so the Latin, it's kind of translated weird, but it's, the Latin is actually secular, secula secular, which is where we get the word secular. And secula means age or era or time or whatever. So secula, secular means the ages of ages. In other words, it's the time that doesn't, that the, 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 the story that doesn't end or sort of like the time of times. That, and so it basically means eternity. So the way that they've translated it in the English is world without end.
0: Ah, okay. But, so there's the secular world and then there's the world without end.
3: There's the, this age and there's the ages of ages. There's the age that doesn't that's that's beyond ages. You, okay, do you see cool. what I'm saying? Yeah, It transcends it. But that's a good question. No, and that's that's what I was talking about the last episode.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, I, I figured it had something to do with it. But yeah, I was I was praying it, you know, and it's like, it's honestly such a perfect prayer to like wrap up my day, I think. Just like, mm-hmm. all glory to you, Lord. Yeah. yeah. And just, <laughs> yeah. just lay it out, and it's simple and just to the point. And then, yeah, I was praying it the other day. And just like, world without end, why am I saying that? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's
3: so funny. It's like such a good catholic thing i don't know if i ever told this on the uh episode but i had a guy one time he was he was uh we were talking about um yeah I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was but anyway he asked me he said hey, did jesus have original sin did i ever tell the story maybe so okay I don't know. and and he and i said yeah uh jesus no jesus never had original sin i said he was he was you know incompatible with sin because he's the son of god and then the guy said, um, uh, oh, and I said, and said, actually, and Mary, his mother. And he goes, yeah, 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 I know yeah, that. For yeah, sure. yeah, for sure. <laughs> I was just like, okay, this is clearly Catholic Louisiana, <laughs> yeah. you know, where, where we know Mary was immaculately conceived, but we're not quite sure uh, about Jesus. But <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, it just shows like how deeply rooted our Catholic faith can be in us and then as we grow in it we start to ask these questions what does world without end mean or you know was Jesus? did Jesus have original sin yeah, you know yeah. so it's, it's beautiful you know uh, uh, because it, it would be it would be brainwashing if it wasn't true you know what I'm saying because right. we would be like okay I'm just learning something mindlessly but this is true and so as we grow we come to understand it more deeply and profoundly but yeah that's a cool question but I I wanted to, uh think it would be a good time to talk about why we're doing this season on the family. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, I think our first episode was kind of like an episode about, you know, the communion of saints, particularly lay sanctity. And, but we didn't really talk about why we are doing this season on the family. So uh, I think probably most of our listeners know that it is the year of the family. If you didn't, well, now you do. Um, it is the year of the family. Pope Francis asked for this, and it kind of collided. Starting when? Oh, man, now you're testing my knowledge. Uh, oh, actually, I think on the, the the feast day of the Solemnity of St. Joseph, which oh. was March 19th. Gotcha. Can't forget that one. Yeah, yeah. So he wanted those two to collide. So he allowed the year of St. Joseph and the year of the family to oh, collide. Cool. cool. So, oh, wow. Yeah. It's oh, cool. Yeah, he, it is cool. And uh, he kind of called it, it's kind of funny, he's kind of like the Amoris Laetitia year of the family. Well, what is that? What's Amoris Laetitia? Well, that's his document that he wrote on the family. Hmm. And what happened was um, everybody kind of got preoccupied with a footnote in Amoris Laetitia, which had to do with giving communion to, um, or it didn't have it, 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 it sort of insinuated something about communion to those who are divorced and remarried ah. kind of outside of the church. Gotcha. And so everybody saw that and kind of read into it. This, this idea that Pope Francis was trying to like promote giving communion to people who were not in communion with the church, um, which uh, I really disagree with that reading of it, but uh, so not with, with what pope francis said with the reading that people took of it and um and so but by and large the whole document was a very beautiful document on family love and how family love is supposed to look and he even says at the beginning of the document he says i i am uh there's going to be a few chapters that are going to challenge people because i want you to be challenged in your love you know and and how you're loving and how how uh, sort of extraordinary your love is and how we're dealing with people who are in broken and weak situations. So he kind of says that from the outset, like, it's going to be tough. But one of the reasons why we're doing this season on the Year of the Family is because, because well, Pope Francis asked for the Year of the Family, but also because I just wanted—I felt, like, inspired that we had an opportunity— to reveal the sanctity of the human family and as well as the, the church's response to the very difficult and broken situations that exist in the family. So um, we're not, so today we have a very beautiful family that we're interviewing, Yeah, you know, Deacon Conkin and, and Marianne um, and their, their exemplary family life Um, But, you know, there's some people that don't have that situation. And so we're going to interview people who don't necessarily have this kind of ideal Catholic family life as well Mm -hmm. um, to show that that they deserve family, too. And that's what Pope Francis was all about, you know.
0: That that everyone, regardless if they ended up being divorced or... Uh, you know or in a, some type of broken home, or something like Like they all everyone needs a family yeah okay
3: and and you know and that 's the way i 've interpreted his his statement when he said something about homosexual persons or civil union i don 't remember exactly what it was, but he he said something to the effect of that they deserve a family hmm. um, and that 's how I understood it is' like everyone needs family, not necessarily a, a sort of institutional. You know, or, a, or a, I don't know, a sac the sacrament of marriage, or something of that nature. But he's saying everybody needs this community support,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and especially people who find themselves in broken situations. That's that's, I mean, that's gospel. The widow, the orphan, these are people who find themselves in broken family situations, and the church is supposed to be there to support them. Mm. And so that's that's what I think. Gotcha. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah.
0: Right. And I mean, you know, ultimately this podcast is for the laity, which, you know, I mean, it's it's the perfect topic. Whenever you told me that it was going to be, that we were going to kind of focus on the year of the family, you know, mm-hmm. I, was, I was pumped because, I mean, it makes sense. That's exactly right. what we're, we're striving to, you know, I guess, you know, really emphasize the point that, you know, the laity have a specific mission in the church Correct. that's vital to the church's success, to God's
3: plan. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The success of God's plan, you know, like the, the laity plays a argue, a much bigger role. Would that be the right thing to say? Well,
3: at least in numbers wise, yeah. certainly, you know what I'm saying? I mean, and, and the majority of the people of God is the laity. Right. I mean, we have the shepherding role and the role of guiding people to that. So it's a very significant role. But ultimately, they the, the laity are the people that, that they are the church, you know, yeah. this is who it is. It's the baptized. It's the Christian people and so I mean that's what it's about. my priesthood is about that hmm. so yeah no you hit the nail on the head and I I think um, and and that's the thing is everyone is everyone that you know is a lay person deserves a family. I think that's what Pope Francis is trying to communicate whether it be the 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 you know traditional sacramental institution that we see which is absolutely pivotal and foundational for society or if it has to do with human community you know which which the family sort of radiates and promotes Mm. the traditional sacramental union promotes that kind of uh community gotcha yeah and then, you know, I mean, it's supposed to be like family. That's the smallest unit of society. And then that extends to the parish, you know, that the church parish becomes a family of families. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's the point. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, it's, it, we're kind of getting into the weeds of that. But, but uh, I mean, like, I, I think it's important to understand, you know, there's kind of two definitions of family. One is the, the traditional, which is absolutely the church is essential role of, you know, um, one man, one woman, united in love, that beget children, and that's, but there's a lot of people that aren't in that situation, and they need community as well in church. Yeah. So, but uh, enough about that, it's time for our Cajun word of the day. Let's get it. All right. (laughs) I think we can The Cajun word of the day is god de do oh, <laughs> No, I, I, You've heard this one. I,
0: right? Yeah, no, I've heard it so much. And that's why I was really disappointed because I should totally know what it means.
3: <laughs> well, you
0: actually, know, god de don," not yeah. um, And I say it all the time. Honestly, it's probably the only Cajun phrase that I actually <laughs> yeah. use. Um, god de don." I mean, I've always used it as like,
3: how would you use it? Yeah.
0: Like, come on, man
3: yeah okay yeah
0: yeah that's pretty much that's pretty much what i got
3: yeah no that's good uh the, so so um i mean that's not what it means <laughs> but, <laughs> but um but god i don't so most of the people use it as like wow or like yeah i can't like believe a sarcastic it. wow it, it yeah. could be that or you could actually god i don't you know like okay uh, yeah, it yeah. could be like a, a legitimate wow and then like m- uh may it, it, we can use that pretty much whenever may M a I S like you hear may brah, you know, I've seen yeah. like bumper stickers and stuff. I think it's so funny. May bruh and stuff. <laughs> um, it's like, I mean, that's, how I grew up hearing that, but, uh, may just means, but like B U T, okay. not, not B U T T, but you know, um, the, conju- the, the adversive conjunction. But anyway, um, so, uh, um, but me garde dans, literally means, but look at those teeth. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what have
0: I been saying? <laughs> yeah. But look at those teeth. So. <laughs> <laughs> wow.
3: So, like, garde, regarde, like regard or look. So, garde don, like dentist. Dans, so, that's
0: teeth. garde is one and then don is yeah. the second word. Okay.
3: Garde dans. So it means, like, look at those teeth. I really don't know why. Wow. Yeah. But I bet you a lot of people don't know that. But I
0: would bet not. That's definitely not how people use it. Yeah, I
3: get so I get a lot of emails like people will tell me like, "Hey, you said this wrong," and or yeah, like, you know, or is there another or, one? Or uh,
0: do we have another uh, another correction?
3: Uh, I don't think so right now. Okay. But people will also suggest words, so um, which I I welcome and appreciate because I'm not certainly I'm pretending to be an expert in this. I'm not. <laughs> But, uh, God, de dawn uh, I bet you a lot of people didn't know that that's what it meant. Yeah, I bet. Look at those teeth. So <laughs> I don't know if they saw alligators, i like, God, de you know, or maybe they were just making fun of somebody and they were like, look at those teeth, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. But anyway, so it's pretty interesting. Okay. Good to know. All right. So I guess it's time for our theological word of the day. Give it to me. Uh, let's see. Oh, it's taking his time. There we <laughs> go. <laughs>
2: Recognize
0: this one? Kind of. The king of love. of love. King of love. My
3: shepherd is. Huh. It's a good song. Yeah. yeah. Alright, the theological word of the day is berith. Berith. Yeah. It's actually a Hebrew word. It's a little spoiler alert.
0: Um. <laughs> I don't have a juice. You're um, going through your Hebrew and, lexicon right now. Yeah, I'm right. Lying. Like, a, <laughs> thinking back to how much I learned about Hebrew. Oh, yeah, it's pretty much nothing. You
3: know, yeah, you know some words in Hebrew.
0: Yeah, now. Amen. Um, Hallelujah. Uh, okay, there we go. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm going to say, um, I'm going to say something about uh, maybe the, the um, oh, man. What am I thinking of? <laughs> like Ruth and and all of them, they were, what was their role? um It was like uh, during a time period where they came to like do a specific thing. thing. <laughs> I,
3: I don't know, know what maybe, you're talking about, man. Maybe
0: like so. <laughs> I'm just thinking of Old Testament <laughs> stuff, man. Like, that's all I can think of. Um, I'm gonna say like uh, somebody, you know, like a leader in the Old Testament. Okay. Well, let's roll with that.
3: No, yeah. No, it's not it. Sorry, but um uh, I don't know what you were maybe thinking of, but it actually—I it don't means, know what else—it <laughs> means covenant. It's oh,
0: covenant. okay, all right. So I figured that would be good. Is for the Greek the, word for covenant the Hebrew word
3: for covenant? Hebrew. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know the Greek word actually. Oh, okay. But um, Bereith, so. It's a very important word in the Old Testament. So here's, here's actually kind of some cool, fun You're facts. You're getting too excited. Right? Yeah, <laughs> you can tell. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so actually, so it's pretty clear that Abraham or Abram was a, uh, a caravanner. So what is a caravanner? Well, a caravanner is a guy who would kind of a nomad, like a guy who would walk around with a big group of people kind of like gypsies almost gotcha and they'd have a lot of stuff and then they then they'd bargain with people okay i'll give you this many chickens if you give me this many you know whatever so so that that was kind of a bargaining thing that would happen and there were some certain spots that the, these caravaners would would come together and actually the hebrew word ivri which is where we get the which is their their word for hebrews comes from it sounds very similar there's a lot of cognates between that word and the word for caravanner mm. and so it's, it seems like the hebrew people were like cuz they came from abraham they were associated with these kind of gypsy caravanners huh. it's kind of interesting huh? yeah. so so what would happen is they would go to these these sites now we actually hear about abraham kind of bargaining his kind of bargaining skills with god And that episode where he's like, okay, God, God's like, I'm gonna destroy these people. And he's like, okay, well, wait, hold on, God. If there were 40 righteous people, would you destroy it? And he's like, okay, no. If there were 40 righteous people, I won't destroy it. He's like, what about 30? All right, can I hear 30, 30, 30, you know? (laughs) And he's like, he's like, he's getting them down to where, you know, that God uh, finally says, Okay, I won't destroy this people, you know, just because of the righteousness of a, a couple or whatever. And so and so uh, that's you, you see how Abraham was kind of a you know kind of doing this bargaining. Well, a bereath like early on, was a contract basically that you would cut. You would cut this contract. That was kind of the idea. And oftentimes you would you would uh, say like, okay, I'm going to give you this. You give me this. We agree, okay? And then we, we cut a covenant. We we have a we have a barith okay well eventually what happened was god wanted to cut a covenant with abraham and so the cutting a covenant had to do with it was cutting it was actually uh cutting a sacrifice so you take an animal make an animal sacrifice and you cut that covenant with them and then that relationship that established a relationship with god Mm. so covenant transferred from this contractual bargaining relationship to an actual interpersonal relationship that Abraham will have with God and that the others had with God as well. I mean, so we see a covenant. In, uh, this is how this word kind of transformed over time. And, and now we understand that a covenant has to do with a uh, binding agreement between persons. Hmm. So beforehand, like, a, which is different from a contract, which is uh, an agreement about stuff. So like, you know, uh, let's let's write this contract. I'll pay you this much if you, you know, you mm-hmm. do this kind of work for me or whatever. Right. Whereas a covenant, marriage covenant. And that's why I wanted to use this word. Gotcha. Yeah. Marriage covenant. That's the that's what we're doing here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're the family. Yeah. So I thought that would be
0: So a breath was like cutting? That's no,
3: breath th- actually means a covenant. Okay. But it All can't right. but but I f- I forget kavar I think is a word for cut, but I, I don't uh, I don't want to say it uh, right now. I'm I'm a little rusty on my Hebrew, but <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a verb that was usually typically used with cutting, gotcha. with with covenant. I'm sorry, and that that's okay, and that was cutting. All right, that makes sense now. So so yeah, cool. So yeah, well,
0: we'll, we'll start off with uh, with the season two with Deacon Adam Conk and Marianne Conk, and they are a wonderful example for this. So
3: enjoy,
0: enjoy welcome back this is reed Striva, and i'm jude lecon and we're here with the Conks, deacon adam and marianne how's it going going great great to see you guys great.
2: thanks for having us
0: yeah absolutely so the deaconhood i feel like it's somewhat of a mystery i feel like people don't you know and me both buddy <laughs> <laughs> really oh yeah <laughs> well what what you know a lot of people don't know like what exactly, why do we have deacons? What's, what's the whole point, you know, whereas we can just get a bunch of lay people to volunteer more often, like, what's, what's the specific point of the deacons?
4: Well, obviously that's um, there's a lot of ways to approach it, but I think in light of our topic today, um, Christ came um, as a priest, prophet and king, right? And so Cajun kingdom of priests, right? Mm-hmm. That all, la- all the laity shares in his priesthood in, in a common way. But there is this specific way to chair in his priesthood that is a ministerial way. So not in the common way, not in the royal priesthood, but a ministerial priesthood, one that's public and official. And so I'm not one of those people, but I serve those people. So I have a certain rank in the church to serve priests and to serve the people of God by serving the priests of God in a particular way. So deacons really from the beginning of the church were there um, to be men of service imitation of Christ who is the servant, Christ who came not to serve, I mean, not to be served, but to serve. So there's a rank of the hierarchy of service, of humility, um, in which the role is to serve. That is why they exist. So the word deacon means servant, means to serve. And so we need deacons because we need Jesus. And so deacons are merely a sign of the presence of Christ among us as servant. Oh, very cool.
1: I think I just learned more about deacons than I have ever learned in my life yeah within that 30 second explanation (laughs) (laughs) wow
0: so um so y'all I'm sure I'm sure you had discerned the deaconhood while y'all were married is that correct Yes. yes so so how did that discernment come about I mean first of all you know I'm guessing you had the calling in your own heart and then you had to communicate that to her and then she had to discern it as well so please uh kind of bring it down for us. I would love to hear some of those. Sure.
2: Uh, being married, you kind of are constantly discerning what God is calling you to or more or less what's happening in your life with your, your spouse and your children and what, what God's calling you to. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was just sort of another one of those, but kind of a big one of those.
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it started in me, uh, like you said, and that's exactly what happened, was – there was something in me kind of a restlessness that I thought God was calling me and us to a greater gift of ourselves. And I'd already, I was doing full-time ministry since I was 18. So I was kind of in the habit of trying to give God everything, mm-hmm. but this was something new. There was something new and prof- and profound about what I thought God wanted. And I had no idea what it was. Um, it actually took us two years to figure out from, from that moment that, It was a call to the diaconate and and enter the program. But for those two years, it was a lot of back and forth with me and Mary Ann. Like, what what are we called to do? And we discern foreign mission work. We discern moving out of state. We discern going back to school. We discern all kind of things. And either doors would close, and, you know, well, that's not it. Or doors would be open, and we'd ask God, and God would make a clear no. Like, that is not it either. Until finally, um, from the word of uh, advice from a priest friend, the it became a possibility. Like, is that what he's asking you to do? And I I did not think that at all. So it was totally out of left field, but it was it. Like, that was totally it. And so mm-hmm. um, it, it was that kind of reporting back to Mary Ann, like my prayer and my thoughts, but also hearing from her what her prayers and thoughts are and then um, journeying together through the formation process, which is years, and day by day discerning together. Very cool.
1: And, and Mary Ann, can you kind of go through when when he brought that to you? Were, were you initially like, yeah, that sounds right. Or were you initially like,
2: mm. Yeah, I'm surprised. Um, you know, early on, when we were first getting married, you, you sort of you, you have this this dream, this vision, like, what is our life going to look like? Mm-hmm. Um, and the diaconate was not in there. Like, it was not <laughs> yeah. on, in the, the big picture of 50 years from now, you know? Um, but it, and it's kind of, I mean, you guys know, it's kind of hard to put into exact words what god is doing in your heart when when you're discerning something but there was just this obvious like big thing um and i could tell it was in his heart and so like i knew it was there so i wasn't that surprised when he landed on i think it's the diaconate um it, it was just sort of the answer to that like big thing that was in his heart and in our hearts um so yeah I, in one way i was surprised, and, and another, and in another way, I wasn't. Um, but it's just been, you know, since that moment of, of the idea of the diaconate possibly being it, there were just a, a lot of green flags from there. Gotcha. And then obviously he was ordained. So the Lord, you know, wills it now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> cool. And you had to write a letter, right, to like express you're you know that you approve of this right (laughs) how is that how's that letter like what what exactly do they need to yeah i mean
2: it's very simple basically um i like i like you said i'm okay with this as his wife i allow it (laughs) um it it was nothing extravagant it was just very simple like hey i give my uh permission submission i don't even remember consent there you go um yeah which was at the point when they needed the letter, it was like, oh, fine, y'all I'll just write this one down. Like I had, mm. okay. We had gotten to the point in our discernment where um, I was comfortable consenting fully um, for, for his ordination.
4: I mean, the big concern for us was my age. I'm, I was ordained the youngest possible um, age, and we were not expecting this. And if I ever thought about the diaconate before that, I thought, oh, it's when I'm older, you know and not want to have small kids but we have lots of small kids and so I mean that's that that was the biggest concern how this impact our family Mm -hmm. Uh, but God had prepared us for that from my work I mean I was always doing ministry work so we we had learned to balance our lives around ministry already and so the diaconate didn't seem like such a big shift to us like we just kind of shift what I'm doing ministry wise but uh, we're still, you know, a ministry family. And I think so far into it, a year and a half into it, it's not that drastic of a change for us schedule-wise. But for me, it's a big old change, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's been
1: quite different. <laughs> can, can you kind of walk us through how it, how it maybe changed or um, shaped your fatherhood to, to your actual children and kind of maybe how, how things just changed in your life when, when you were ordained or if they didn't and it was kind of...
4: No, it changed. I mean, I guess there's a couple of layers to that. One would be the way I participate in my parish with my family. That's probably the biggest change because I'm not a parishioner anymore. That was the biggest thing. Like, I'm not—I'm mm. assigned to places, you know? Like, Interesting. Like, laity, you're like, you know, you're enrolled as a parishioner. Mm. But me, I get an assignment from the bishop to be at a parish, and so it's just different. And so um, that was that was one change in that my relating to my kids— is now like I'm their deacon, right? It's like my my boys serve at the parish and my girls are involved in this and that. Like I'm their deacon like I'm everyone else's deacon, right? So to to have that new layer of relationship to my children as um, a part of the parish has been interesting to explore and serving my kids that way because I'm supposed to serve parishioners, right? So to serve my kids in the parish setting has been great. But then also it's affected the kids in their own discernment of their own life and vocations because... You know they they had to go through formation too and they watched me do that and they watched me discern a vocation and so it's affected their ability to kind of think about their life a bit um what god might be calling them to and a dialogue with that so it's been a a really good source of conversations about all those kinds of things um and then you know explaining what the diaconate is to them along the way has been interesting too so
0: (laughs) How old are your kids, or how many do y'all have?
2: We have eight children. They range from age 13 to nine months.
0: Wow! Mm -hmm. Congrats on the newest one. (laughs) Very new. (laughs) Wow! That's awesome. So, how is? uh, At what point did did you become a deacon? Like, what what kid in were you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
4: you were pregnant for Paul,
0: right? Uh, No,
4: no, 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 no. Wait, how? You were not pregnant. I was ordained May 23rd. 2020
2: how many months
4: ago was that a year and a half
0: oh so. i didn't realize how recent that was oh wow. it's it's no, recent I
2: think, you're right. I think i was pregnant for paul you're pregnant when for you paul were ordained uh-huh. in may yeah so we had a few babies during formations
0: okay all right cool <laughs> 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 yeah the cool. new
4: the new kids on the block was was a, a phenomenon and that was an interesting year we moved that year we were expecting a new baby I and mean, was a lot of n- new things hmm.
0: gotcha cool And what is, uh, how did the prayer life shift during that time period? Um, From what I understand, deacons do have to pray the liturgy of the hours. Was that a a new thing for you? Is that something that you do as well, Marianne? Is that?
2: Yeah, it was not completely new to us. Um, Adam had prayed it over the years since before we were married. Um, So now that he's ordained, he's obligated to. So obviously it, it is a more often occurrence. Um, It's been interesting because um, we've introduced it to the children. Um, I don't pray it every day with him. It's sort of just when it, when it works with the schedule and with our daily life. Um, And same with the children when um, we're in a season where that's, you know, we strive to put that in our family prayer life too. So, um, so it's interesting that the children get introduced to it also.
4: Yeah, that's been great. So we'll, We usually pray morning prayer together and um, evening prayer. If everything's working out in the evening like it's supposed to, they'll pray with me evening prayer. Um, And that's been great, especially because as a deacon, I offer a blessing at the end. So I get to bless my kids and, you know. um, But, yeah, so I think their liturgical experience is more regular because, like Marianne said, I mean, we would pray literally the hours kind of when we could before, but now I have to do it, right? So it's it's a thing dad has to do. And so we do it more often and I do it all the time. And so it's made Liturgy of the Hours and other aspects of the church's liturgical life much more of a reality in our in our home.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's, it's interesting because sometimes you get this like wonderful, prayerful experience, for lack of another word, you know, meditative, quiet. Um, and so the kids see that like, oh, this is you know, a Christian's prayer life. And then other times there are, okay, I've got 15 minutes, I need to sit down, I need to pray, I'm going to read through my prayers. And, you know, you might get interrupted by, hey, stop pulling her hair. So, like, the kids see, like, you're just going to keep on praying, you yeah. know? <laughs> Some days it's going to be glorious and, you know, transfiguration style, and rare, sometimes rare. it's yeah. just <laughs> not. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, I was actually, while you were talking, I think, I don't think I completely understand the liturgy the hours like what's um, I guess what exactly is the liturgy the hours what's the what's the reason that you know it's prayed so often in the religious life
1: and and why and why are you bound to pray it well so this is inherited from
4: before Christian times in the Jewish faith hours were set for prayer mainly praying the Psalms and our Lord and his Apostles continued that, but now within a Christian context, right? So like when we pray Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jews prayed that for years in a certain understanding, but now after the mystery of of Christ's life and death and resurrection, that psalm has a whole new meaning, because now we relate it to the cross, where Jesus Christ himself quoted, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm -hmm. Um, And so the psalms take on a whole new Dimension that was al- always there in a prefigured way, but now fulfilled in Christ. And so the church has, from the earliest days, set hours of the day to pray through the Psalms in a Christian way, as Christian worship. Um, before Vatican II, would have called it div- the Divine Office, mm-hmm. but now the Liturgy of the Hours I- is a term where it's it's the work of liturgy ju- done throughout the day. So like Mass will happen once a day, but the Liturgy of the Hours are these set times. In the day to pray some of the Psalms and if you do it all the time you'll pray all the Psalms within a month um, so all 150 Psalms so that's the main event wow. added to it are things like scripture readings petitions um, the main ones take 15 minutes the little ones take about five and so there's six hours in each day clergy have to do it religious have to do it lay people are encouraged so for example in, in context of your podcast um, one of the ways to exercise that kingdom of priests of, of the laity is to participate in Liturgy of the Hours because you can. You don't need priests or deacons to lead you in Liturgy of the Hours. You can pick it up yourself and you can lead a Liturgy of the Church as a layperson because it's mainly a prayer of praise through the Psalms of God, which like you said earlier, which is an awesome way to put it, you know, to offer the uh, worship of our hearts, right? At the altar of our hearts, we want to worship, uh, offer all of our sacrifices to God. And so we do that every day with the Liturgy of the Hours. And um and there are certain times you you're kind of supposed to do it, but you could do it any time. Like morning prayer could be any time in the morning, and evening prayer any time in the evening. So yeah, that's the liturgy of the hours. And then permanent deacons like myself were obliged to pray morning and evening prayer, but encouraged to pray all of them. Priests mm-hmm. have to pray all of them, and lay people are encouraged to pray all of them. So mm.
1: interesting. Good clarification. I, I thought I thought you you were obliged to pray all of them.
0: So that's Interesting. Not that
4: I know of. I've been told you not. Have they been. haven't told you that yet. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> They're gonna email you after this. Uh yeah, Deacon Conk, you're wrong. You've been <laughs> having to pray with them this whole time.
2: You have a backlog that you have to go through. Yeah, that's and pray
0: right. <laughs> He's gotta make up for it. It's been the next three weeks in silent prayer by himself. <laughs> catching up. So another you know, probably the biggest aspect of the laity is The fact that we're going to be in relationship with the opposite sex and go through marriage and have to go through this process of like, you know, sometimes it being absolute butterflies and you know, just, you know, floating and then other times like really having to sacrifice our time and our effort to make sure that we, you know, love the other person to the best of our abilities. Now i'm pretty sure y'all started dating in college right Right. was it immediate that y'all were both kind of just sacrificially loving each other perfectly or (laughs) or uh no yeah
2: i mean it's interesting you ask that i want to say yes and no no because we weren't um you know dating right away but um there's a certain aspect to friendship to good christian friendship and i'm sure you guys know this like in any relationship, there's going to be some sacrifice, right? Or you're, or you're just not a good friend. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, So, yeah, there was certainly this aspect of, like, hey, let's be good friends, um, which we were for a year or two before we got romantic. Um,
0: before he made his move. That's it. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, the friendship we had was, was what inspired the romance, actually, because... I was discerning the priesthood, she was discerning religious life, and I was serious enough to be applying, so I was in the application process for seminary, and she was serious enough of imagining herself like in China, converting the children. (laughs) Um, And as part of my discernment, we were were such close friends that I wanted to discern, like, you know, should we discern marriage or should I discern priesthood? So I asked her a little test question in the cafe one day at Wisdom. I said, "Where, where do you see yourself in five years? And in my mind, I'm thinking, like, I know she's thought about religious life, so I want to see if she's still thinking about that. And if she is, I won't even try, you know?
1: I don't know why my heart's pounding right now. (laughs) I'm like nervous, all right?
4: (laughs) Yeah, like, it's building up. Where do you see yourself in five years? And she says, probably as a missionary nun in China. And I said, okay. Yeah. So I backed off of that. And I kept going down my my seminary route, you know? Um, But that actually gave us the freedom to support each other in our vocational discernment she was praying for me like to st john vianney about my discerning seminary i was praying (laughs) for her and so it didn't deter our friendship actually we became closer friends in that act of sacrificing like trying to because i mean she had a little thing for me and i had a little thing for her during that time Mm -hmm. you know but we sacrificed that for god's will for the other like she she was thinking well he's called to be a priest i support it and i was thinking she's called to be a nun i support it Mm -hmm. but in that support of it we became closer friends. And so when I discerned to not continue the application, not because of her, but because of a lack of a vocation, that was pretty obvious. (laughs) Um, Like God just made it obvious to me. Um, Then the question was, well, what now? And I had to reconcile with, or or face the fact that my best friend was a woman and we're really (laughs) good friends. And this is unusual. So I needed to figure this out. And it was was only six months after that moment we were engaged because it was pretty quick.
1: Wow when you know you know
2: that's it
0: yeah (laughs) that's awesome so and then having kids and going into i i guess even more sacrifice and you know more (laughs) time and effort spent sacrificing sleep and all these things that we hold on to so tightly um at what point after marriage did y'all have your first kid and how was that transition for y'all's relationship
2: Okay, well, uh our first kid was born like nine, nine months and two weeks out Gotcha was pretty Not immediate. doing any math so. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, having children came pretty quickly it's been It's been the story of our marriage uh, so sure that that sacrifice has been obvious in our marriage, you know like this sometimes the Lord calls you to things and I mean, this one's just very obvious to us that um, this is what he wants us to offer him. This is the, the sacrifice. Um, and I say that, but on, on the other side, it's also such a great blessing. Um,
0: yeah. Cool. I remember listening to, to both of y'all on Can I Get an Amen podcast, <laughs> and I loved it. And I, I remember there was a specific point in my relationship that I'm in right now that I was struggling to really, like, sacrifice my time and effort, or at least that's, that's how I perceive it. I was struggling to sacrifice my time and effort. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I was willing to to do service for her if it was like pretty, if it fit, yeah, if it fit in my schedule, but making it, you know, my own time. So whenever it actually came at a perfect time, when I was listening to that podcast and Deacon Adam was talking about, um, how something about sacrificial love and, um, how the, the woman is more secure when the husband is, Making it very clear that she is the first priority by sacrificing other things. And that was something that I really needed to hear to make sure that I could be the best boyfriend that I could be in the stage that I'm in. Wow, that's mm-hmm.
2: great.
4: Yeah, because that foundation of sacrificial love is more stable than schedules. You know, stable, schedules become <laughs> unstable pretty quick. Even the best schedules. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so if, you know, if the, if the wife knows that everything's going to work out as long as the schedules line up, they're going to feel pretty insecure. Um, the, if she knows the husband's going to be engaged in the marriage as long as the schedule accommodates it she's going to feel pretty insecure because that that schedule is not a foundation of a marriage but the love is a sacrificial love elevated by a sacrament and the commitment to it that's elevated by a sacrament because the elevation by a sacrament means that God's love is now the foundation of the marriage but that's only true if there's a commitment to that love right like to live that out and That commitment for women is, like, how am I going to measure the man's commitment is sacrifice, like self-sacrifice. Is this man really committed? Would he die for this? Then that makes the wife feel secure. You know, it has that security to it. Because as long as my husband is willing to die for me, then God's going to take care of everything and everything's going to be fine, you know. Um, And that provides that security. But it's when I doubt that he would give everything, now I'm going to feel insecure. You
2: know? Yeah, and it's interesting that you talk about you know, your, your podcast as being a kingdom of priests and this idea of sacrifice. Um, it's obviously something that we're all called to as a Christian, right? Like God is going to ask things of me, um, and I want to love him and, and give myself to him, and that's going to include some sacrifice. So it's important, I think, to remember that like, this is a, a part of my Christian walk, And it prepares you for whatever God is calling you to. Like, if you're called to be a priest or a religious, there's a lot to sacrifice. Not just at the moment when you you are ordained or you, you know, give your vows, but throughout the whole life. And so it is in Christian marriage. Um, If you want a good Christian marriage, (laughs) um, like, get used to sacrifice, right? (laughs) Like, it doesn't really matter. Just to be a Christian, God is going to... God's going to ask that of you, always in a in a joyful way, right? Like, the, mm-hmm. with with grace provided and, and such. Um, and so it just sort of, like, spills over, I think, into whatever vocation you end up being called to. That if you want to be a good that, a good priest, a good nun, a good spouse, um, you're just going to be a good Christian. You're going to be striving to be a good Christian. And um, like you said, off, offering sacrifice on the altar of your heart is just going to happen throughout your whole life right um and it's just what you're offering i think uh, what god called the the vocation god calls you to determines what it is that you're offering
1: gotcha do do you do you feel like obviously this sacrificial love is at the at the core of marriage and possibly at the core of why so many marriages are failing people not 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 knowing how to sacrifice for the other, um, and maybe maybe just from a pastoral view of you being a deacon but also a father, maybe some some tips for for guys like Reed and I or young women who are um, trying to prepare their heart for marriage right now, and and really trying to 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 do their best to um, prepare yeah just prepare for that sacrament and seeing the sacramentality of it. What, what would you say are some of the things that, I mean, obviously y'all were both in a really good position um, before marriage, discerning priesthood, discerning religious life. So y'all were, y'all were on a, a good path of, you know, truly trying to, to find God's will in your life. But but for somebody who knows our call to marriage and just kind of like, a, what do I do now? Everybody's looking for the one, you know, <laughs> getting impatient. But maybe just some practical tips for somebody who's preparing their heart for marriage.
4: Yeah, I would say that to discern the distinction between um, priestly sacrifice and spousal sacrifice. So sacrifice literally means just to make holy. It's an offering to set apart something for God. So to offer something to God is a sacrifice, right? And so priestly sacrifice, the purpose of it is for the forgiveness of sins and the salvation of the world, right? So like if I'm a... um, If I have a priestly heart or if God is calling me into a priestly vocation, what I'm discerning is to sacrifice everything I am with this sacrifice on the altar so that everyone can be saved from their sins, right? That's a little different than spousal sacrifice because if someone's saved from their sins or not, I don't necessarily have to be in an intimate union with these people, right? Like I can be saving parishioners from their sins and never talk to them. Now, I should talk to them. But I might not know their, the depths of their hearts, or their their feelings, their thoughts. That's not part of the job. It can be like I can intimacy can happen in a pastoral way. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying it's not essential to priesthood to have union with your people mm-hmm. in the same way that it is with marriage. So the end of marital sacrifice is always the union of the spouses. So if I'm sacrificing all kind of stuff for my spouse, but we're not growing in unity, my sacrifices are in vain. See what I'm saying like my mm-hmm. I don't need to be sacrificing things outside of that context so as a layperson especially if you're someone preparing for marriage to learn the difference between self-sacrifice for any old reason and self-sacrifice for the purpose of unity is pretty important mm. because if your sacrifice is tending towards union then that's the marital heart that's the spousal sacrifice and if you're not good at that then you're going to struggle as a married person, even if you're self-sacrificing, even if you are giving up your time, your talent, your energy, but you still feel distant. And that, you mentioned struggling marriages. You know, Marianne and I have known many couples that are good Catholic people. You know, like they love the Lord, they go to Mass, they pray, they do all these things. But they struggle with union. They struggle with a sense of connectedness, a sense of closeness. And so they can both list things of the way they're self-sacrificing. Look, I've given you this, I've given you that, I've given, you know... But those sacrifices didn't tend towards union and that's the spousal sacrifice so for example communication communion to communicate means to make a union right so the act of communicating is pretty much the bread and butter of that sacrifice like that's the sacrifice that needs to happen the most to bring about union you know, and I can be making all kind of holy hours and going to Mass and praying rosaries with my spouse even. But if we're not communicating, then there's no union that's happening. And the graces from all those things, from the Mass, from the rosary, from holy hours, is not tending towards union. And that's what it's, it's all about in a spousal context. And even with my kids, I'm not married to my kids. So I shouldn't be sacrificing all these things for my kids that distracts from my union with my wife, I should be mm-hmm. sacrificing all these things for our kids in a way that builds our union as, pa- as spouses and not distracts from it.
0: Cool, awesome, <laughs> great advice. <laughs> I didn't even
1: know I was asking that question, but I'm so <laughs> glad I did.
4: <laughs> so for those preparing for marriage, can you communicate well is a big question. Can yeah. you communicate? And if you're asking like, what, how do I prepare to become self-sacrificial in marriage? sacrifice for unity, sacrifice for union and learn what that's like.
0: Cool. fantastic. Yeah, so we, we've gotten some advice, we've gotten a little bit of y'all's past on how you grew in sacrificial love. Uh, but now let's what about today? What is how are y'all offering sacrifices on the altar of your hearts today?
2: Yeah. Okay. Um, it's
0: kind of loaded. That's kind of everybody's reaction. Here. It's every, kind of it's
1: kind of a tense question. We get know,
0: that. We and we do it on every episode. So.
2: <laughs> yeah, nice. I think just on the tails of what Adam was saying, um, in order to to obtain union, you have to give up a lot of what. Um, I don't want to say this in like a too elementary way, but like you have to give up what you want. You know, it's it's kind of a battle of the will, um, of. I find that a, a lot of what is sacrificed is, is what I want, right? Um, this is with a spouse, but obviously in family life, I want to sleep later. I want alone time. <laughs> I want, You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and you give up what you want. Um, and so as spouses, I think there's sort of a um, you know, it's obviously a habit, but you're thinking of the other right so you're making decisions based on the other not just on yourself and so i think that's part of the sacrifice to um make a decision for us not for me does that make sense yeah yeah
4: yeah and i would just kind of add i guess like right now that mainly involves a lot of schedule juggling that somehow works like people ask me sometimes like how do you do it all and i ask marianne like how do you do it all because she homeschools eight kids
0: oh wow well Home well, five of
4: them. <laughs> yeah, I guess one of them is not old enough for school. She homeschools five kids. <laughs> gotcha. You know, I'm a, I'm a full-time worker plus a deacon. And, like, people ask, like, how do you all do it? And the truth is I have no idea how I do it. Like, <laughs> I really have no idea. But part of that, what Marianne said is very important for the juggle, this juggling of schedules, is that if we're both just trying to make it work and we're on each other's team to make it work, then however much time we have left for each other, we both know is the right amount of time. Like I we both know that this week, I or her we couldn't have done anything different to get more time. So it gives us a permission to make that time as good as possible and as quality as possible. And it's satisfying that way, you know? And that's the thing, you know, if you're a couple, you could have hours and hours, like before your first kid, you can have hours together and still feel not satisfied, right? Because it's more about the connection you make during that time than it is about how much time you connected. And so if we both have a confidence that we juggled this schedule as best we could and we prioritize each other as much as we could, then that 20 minutes today that we have for each other can be so meaningful and satisfying and build union. But we could have eight hours together today, but if we didn't juggle that schedule together or sacrifice together to make it happen, then we could feel disconnected even, you know?
0: Gotcha. Beautiful answers. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you all so much for coming on.
2: Yeah. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, it's no so a lot
4: of a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, <laughs> always, always, always fun in the studio. And if y'all don't know, Deacon Adam is the one who helps us out behind the scenes a lot because we don't know what we're doing with the technology. So most
1: of the time, we have to pause and be like, "All right, somebody call Deacon Cone. <laughs> things are getting out of hand." <laughs>
0: so yeah, we appreciate it a lot. Um, and good luck to the both of y'all. And we'll see you around. Yep. Woo! I'm Jude Lecomp And I'm Reed Streeva. Thanks for listening to our podcast, Cajun Kingdom of Priests. And if you need more information, you can go to AquinasLafayette.org. God bless you and have a great day.